Welcome to Windsor Christian Fellowship Church Podcast. Our church vision is to win generations to Christ, connect them to His master plan, empower them to succeed, and grow the kingdom of God. For other podcast resources or more information about Windsor Christian Fellowship, please visit us at www.wcf.ca. So I'm jumping out of Declutter Your Life. Actually, I kind of ended that series last week. And now we're going into uh, our social issues series that we've been kind of doing periodically. Uh, We did one social issue on the sanctity of life, and Ruth Coghill came in and shared with some of her um, team. And then we did another one not so long ago on uh, uh, fostering and adoption, and Craig and Renee came up and shared their story a little bit. And today I want to talk to you about the social issue of suicide. And uh, it's a conversation that I find that um, some churches don't have well. And uh, I wanted to have that conversation with us here today. And we'll see how it goes. I I think it went okay at the first service. So this practice time is done. Now I've got the the bugs worked out for this service, right? Everything should go good. But most of us have known someone who has either attempted to end their life or successfully ended their life. And uh, globally, the statistics tell us that about every 40 seconds, someone ends their life around the world. Now, one time my wife and I preached on the persecuted church, and we had someone ring a bell every, you know, two minutes and change, every time someone gets martyred for Jesus. I'm not going to have someone ring a bell every 40 seconds, but every 40 seconds, someone takes their life right now. Now, in Canada, that's about, it's about 11 people a day, or about every two hours and 12 minutes. So in the time you drove here and sat through the service and drove home, someone took their life in Canada. It's about 11 people a day, 4,000 a year. Um, It's one of the top 10 leading reasons that people die um, globally. For every one suicide, there's five self-inflicted hospitalizations. There's 25 to 30 attempts. So for every 25 to 30 attempts, one person's gonna be successful. And then there's seven to 10 people who are gonna be profoundly profoundly affected by the loss of life. For every four people that commit suicide, three people are men and one is a woman. About 12% of people have suicidal thoughts in their lifetime. So if I was to count, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, every 12th person in their lifetime would be struggling with those thoughts. And based on the feedback I got after the first service, there was quite a few people that came up and said, that's me, I've been struggling with that, but that's okay, God's gonna see me through. Okay, so one in 12, and then 4% of people actually have a plan. They've made a plan. The highest suicide rate in Canada by demographic is surprisingly the 45 to 54 year old demographic. 45 to 54 is the highest rate, followed secondly by 85 plus. Those are the two highest rates. I know that messes with what you would think. Over 90% of suicides are by people with mental or addictive disorders or illnesses. Over 90%. And depression is the most common reason for suicide. Which leads me to my next statement. Suicide is a very permanent action 
to handle what is often a very temporary problem. How many have emotions? No robots in the room? So all of you have emotions? How many of you have been happy? So the rest of you are never happy? How many of you have been sad? The ones that didn't raise, man, lots of you have been sad. How about depressed, angry, excited, lonely? See, here's what we got to understand. Emotions come and emotions go. Feelings, wasn't there a song, Pastor Brian? Feelings. Don't they come and go? Circumstances, guess what? They come and go too, don't they? They're here today and they're gone tomorrow. Some of you might have walked through some tough times financially. Some of you are still walking through some tough times financially. Some of you have always walked through some tough times financially. It doesn't have to stay that way. See, things come and things go in life. We go through situations, we go through circumstances, but a very permanent solution for a very temporary problem is not always the best Actually, it's never the best choice. From the protology in Genesis to the eschatology in Revelation, from the study of origins that we do in Genesis all the way through the Bible to the end of the age when we study the end of the age in Revelation, there's a common theme in the Bible. And in Genesis 1, verses 26 and 27, you've heard me say this again and again and again because we have to get an understanding of it. We humans were made in the image of and we're made to be image bearers. We're starting to get the language. We're image bearers. We were created by God, formed, shaped, fashioned by him. He breathed his life into us. And when your last day is over, you will breathe your last breath and it will go back to him. And your body will go back to dust from which it is made. It's the shell. And see what happens and what we have to understand is we were made to be image bearers. So we were made in the image of God to reflect his nature, his goodness to others. And so many times when people don't understand who they are, who God made them to be, what their purpose here on earth is, then all kinds of things get in the way of them having a successful journey. There's lots of struggle that goes along with not knowing who you are. Lots of non-productive time inside of people's lives. Okay, a lot of people believe that suicide is purely a result of selfishness, and I'm sure at times it is. There's got to be some selfishness in there sometimes. But personally, I feel that it's more of a response to a broken, fallen, sinful world that we live in. And see, there's a lot of people that are in pain, it's overwhelming, they don't know what to do, they don't know where to go, it's frustrating. There's physical pain and illness, there's mental anguish, there's circumstances that are just so crazy and some people have gone through so many horrible things. Okay, people get overwhelmed, people get in over their head. This is a fallen sinful world that we live in and there's a lot of broken hurting people. But we need to start looking to the source of life. We'll get to that. In Exodus 20, verse 13, in the Amplified Bible, it says, You 
shall not commit murder. And then it explains it in brackets. The other ones are unjustified, deliberate homicide. Now, I find it interesting because when we look at the Ten Commandments, we know that the first four commandments are having to do with our relationship with God. You know, you shall not have any other idols before me. Put God first, you know. Uh, Love the Lord your God with your heart, soul, and mind. Jesus sums it up later. First four have to do with our relationship with him. The next six have to do with our relationship with who? Others. And you know, you see one, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, his ox, his house, his jaguar. (laughs) I never heard that one, but sure, you're his weed whacker. (laughs) Kill the weeds. (laughs) But see, it talks about your neighbor, right? Your neighbor, your neighbor. But when it says you shall not murder, it doesn't say your neighbor. Because I think it just means you shouldn't take a life in that context, right? We don't kill the innocent or shouldn't. Now, Baker's, in his dictionary, he talks about this a little bit, and he actually does a pretty good job explaining this. I'm going to read parts of this. But see, foundationally, I get this question a lot from people because they feel that, well, is suicide the unpardonable sin? That means if someone kills themselves, do they go directly to hell? And a lot of people have this question. And I think there's a little bit of an understanding that we have to have, and there's some mitigating factors that I'll get to in a moment. But let's read how Baker's explains it, and I I really think he does a good job of this. Christians often assume that suicide is an unforgivable sin, and those who die by suicide automatically go to hell. That's a misconception that believes in a transactional view of sin and forgiveness, which means I'm going to jump out of Baker's and go back to my own thoughts. Transactional view means when you sin, you must repent of sin, and then you get forgiveness of sin. So you sin, you repent of sin, you get forgiveness of sin. It's kind of like, you know, you go to the bank, you put money in, you go to the bank, you take money out. You can't take money out if you didn't put money in. But it's a transaction-based issue, okay? And, And I think what we have to understand is in the grander picture, Jesus died for your sin on the cross, did he not? And when he saved you, he saved you past, present, and future, Okay, and we know that when we sin, we're supposed to repent of our sin and then we receive forgiveness of sin and we continue. Sanctification, the process that we're all in. But see, we're justified by faith. So at salvation, you get saved and you're really saved. That means if you tell a lie and all of a sudden, oops, you die, I don't think it's going to put you in hell for eternity. It's not transactional. You are saved and justified by faith And what happens is, as a Christian, we don't want to keep sin in our life because it's going to affect our relationship with God. So we repent of sin, and that's part of that sanctification process we're supposed to be in. But God is very just, and God is very holy, and um, suicide is not listed in the Bible as the unforgivable sin. I'm going to go back to Baker, where if we don't confess the sin of suicide after it takes place, it can't be forgiven. But that idea comes more from Augustine in medieval theology than the Bible. Scripture doesn't actually say that suicide separates us from God for eternity. The unforgivable sin is never equated with suicide in the Scripture. And this is true because I've told you before, the unpardonable sin is the world's sin of unbelief, where they don't acknowledge that Jesus is the Savior and therefore they cannot access salvation. They cannot access um, justification by faith. 
in the work they did at the cross because they don't believe he sacrificed his life for them, so therefore they don't access forgiveness. So unbelief is the unforgivable sin. And then he goes on and he says, somebody like Samson died at his own hand, but he's still included in Hebrews 11 among the hall of the faithful, and I'll talk about that in a little bit. And, you know, and then there's the promise in Romans 8, well, Romans 8, we'll end up there, that neither life nor death, nor, not even death by suicide, could separate us from the love of God in Christ. So there's a common misconception there about how this looks, not even talking about some of the mitigating factors, which I'll get to in a minute. But I want to show you biblically, uh, suicide is in the Bible. There's six or seven instances, depending on how you want to count it. And uh, I'm going to go through those right now for a few minutes. In Judges chapter 9, verse 54, we see Abimelech. He quickly said to his young armor bearer, draw your sword and kill me. Don't let it be said a woman killed Abimelech. So the young man ran him through with his sword and he died. So he kind of, you can make a case for assisted suicide. But Abimelech, in those days when you had an armor bearer because you were the king, he was the one that was to protect you. And usually what would happen is if you died, <laughs> the armor bearer should have died first. <laughs> but Abimelech was evil and it said God was punishing him because he murdered 70 of his half-brothers. He was a murderer. He murdered 70 people in cold blood. And then he went to another village and there was a thousand people in a tower and he burned them alive inside. He's a pretty evil man. How many say that's not a nice guy? So there was all these things that happened, but he, he ended up in the end taking his life. Abimelech. In 1 Samuel 31, verses 4 and 5, you see Saul and his armor bearer. Saul groaned to his armor bearer, take your sword and kill me before these pagan Philistines come to run me through and taunt and torture me. Saul had disobeyed God's direct instruction. Remember when the prophet came to Paul, Saul? Because he thought, well, I'll just save the king instead of kill him, and I'll parade him through the city like all the pagans do and torture him and torment him, and, you know, I'll sacrifice all these cows and bulls to God instead of just kill him like God said. And the prophet came, and there was the great discourse where the prophet said, obedience is more important than sacrifice. In your life, it's better that you obey God and his word and his command to you than it is that you serve him every day in the church. It's still true. And see, what happens is we get it wrong because we think we can earn salvation and you can't. But Saul, he disobeyed God and as a result of that, God took the kingdom away from him. And when his armor bearer was afraid and would not do it, Saul took his own sword and fell on it. When the armor bearer realized Saul was dead, he fell on his own sword and died beside the king because his life was forfeit anyways. <laughs> so we see two, two for two so far, they're not the nicest guys. They're not people that are living a godly life. Second Samuel 17, 23, Ahithophel. When Ahithophel realized that his advice had not been followed, he saddled his donkey, went to his hometown, set his affairs in order, and hanged himself. He died there and was buried in the family tomb. Now, some of you may not know this story as well. Ahithophel was an advisor to King David for many years. And when Absalom, David's son, had the coup and tried to take over the kingdom, Ahithophel went with Absalom and it gave him advice against David. And his advice was, kill him and kill him quick. Because the longer he lives, the worse it's going to be for you. And Hushai, David's man, who went with Absalom, countered his advice and confused the plans. 
And as a result, Ahithophel <laughs> realized, um, yeah, my plans were thwarted and the king's going to find out that I tried to have him killed, so that's not going to end well for me, so he hung himself. <clears throat> but there's another twist to this that I want to bring in here. Ahithophel is listed <laughs> as the grandfather of a young lady named Bathsheba, who David had a toward affair with and violated when she was married to someone else. So if you ever wonder what drove him to rebel with Absalom, I have to, I'd look around in there and see how you would think if somebody in a powerful position took advantage of your granddaughter. I'm not suggesting we go kill people. We may want to make it look like an accident and tell God they died. In 1 Kings chapter 16, verse 18, Zimri when Zimri saw that the city had been taken, he went to the citadel and the palace and burned it down over himself, and he died in the flames. It continues, for he too had done what was evil in the Lord's sight. Are we getting the picture here? These aren't necessarily guys that are outstanding citizens that are taking their life. They're evil men. And when judgment catches up with them, in the New Testament, you've got Matthew 27, 5, a guy named Judas. He was one of the disciples of Jesus. It says, then Judas threw the silver coins down in the temple and went out and hanged himself. Judas was the one that betrayed Christ. I don't know that I'm going to put him in the nice guy list either. How are we doing here? So we see from Exodus 20, through the biblical accounts, suicide would be something that we would consider a sin, not necessarily an unpardonable or an unforgivable sin, but absolutely it would be something that would be sinful and not something that we would condone. It's taking an innocent life. Now, we see Samson chose to lay down his life for the benefit of others. I would give you an equivalent today. It would be like, you know, you're a soldier and you're there with your troop and someone throws a grenade in the middle of the room and you jump on the grenade to save all your friends. That's kind of more of a self-sacrifice than a suicide. Okay, and I'm hoping you are smart enough people that you can make the connection there to see the difference between the two. And then ultimately, Jesus, as I talked about a little bit earlier, he laid his life down for the benefit of others. And I'm really glad he did because otherwise we'd have a really awkward conversation with God on Judgment Day. But, I mean, it was within Jesus' authority to call down 12 legions of angels. I mean, one angel killed 186,000 military guys in one night. What's he going to do with 12 legions of them? I don't think there's a military force on earth that could counter that. With today's modern weapons, it wouldn't matter. The, the point is, Jesus allowed himself to be killed as a sacrifice. And again, there's that self-sacrifice as an example to all of us that we're supposed to sacrificially lay our life down every day for the cause of Christ. That's why Paul says, I die daily. What do I do? I take up my cross. I follow him. In the New Testament, many are martyred, but this is not suicide. And we see even the Apostle Paul interrupted the Philippian jailer when he was going to kill himself. That's in Acts 16, somewhere around 27, 28, if I remember right. The jailer woke up to see the prison doors wide open. He assumed the prisoners had escaped, so he drew his sword to kill himself. But Paul shouted, stop, don't kill yourself, we're all here. So you see, the Apostle Paul interrupted the Philippian jailer. He didn't want him to kill himself, he interrupted him. I mean, in those days when you were a jailer and people were entrusted to your care, you wanted to make sure they didn't escape because every prisoner that escaped cost you something, usually your life. How many say, I don't know if I want that job? 
That's why he took Paul and put him in the deepest part of the prison and chained him hand and foot. <laughs> he still found a way out. I want to go to the contributing factors, and this is not necessarily a conclusive list, but I want to give you an idea of some of the reasons that contribute to this. And often, it's a combination of these factors, and often we need to keep in mind that people leave, I'm going to say, their right mind. Like I said, 90% of people that take their own life are in mental illness or active addiction. I'm not talking about even the accidental death. I'm talking about suicide. 90%, just over 90% is mental illness or addiction. Just those two, the primary one being depression. So let's look at these. Bullying, which should never be happening in the church, but does happen in the world. And it doesn't just happen in school. It happens all over the place. Lots of people get bullied. People get bullied in their own homes. Sometimes they even use the scriptures to do it. Trauma. People that have not been through great trauma don't realize the lasting effects that trauma has on people. Trauma has severe psychological effects on people at times, and a lot of people need to get some counsel and some guidance to work their way through the trauma. But in that process, sometimes trauma can lead people down a dark road. Um, depression, which I listed as one of the main causes, um, and it is considered one of the top causes with mental illness. Um, hopelessness is another one. People become hopeless. They feel like their situation is never going to change. But the truth is, every situation and circumstance is just temporary. It'll eventually change. I mean, it might be raining today, but the sun will come out tomorrow. Or maybe later today if you live in Windsor. But see, the thing is, your situation is temporary and subject to change. But sometimes we make permanent decisions based on temporary situations. Mental illness, you know, I talked to one psychiatrist after 30-something years in practice, and he told me that 90% of the mental illness that he deals with is rooted in unforgiveness. I find that interesting. Well, we did a whole message on unforgiveness last week, so if you missed it by some chance, just go online and you can stream it and you'll see us talk a little bit more about unforgiveness. But here in the church, we also need to be able to have conversations about things like generational spirits. Because generational spirits are very real where the sins of the fathers get passed down from generation to generation to generation. That's why with Christ, when we come to Christ, we break ties and associations with any spirit that was within our forefathers. Some of you have been on our Encounter Weekend, and before we go into the deliverance session, we do a prayer of renouncement, renunciation and renouncement, where we break associations with occultic activity. We break a, a, association with generational spirits. We denounce them and renounce them, and then when we cast them out, they don't have a legal point of entry into your life anymore. But the blood of Jesus is always greater than a generational spirit, but often you'll see suicide here in the generation and then it'll go in the next generation into the next generation. It's not uncommon. And then I talked about drug and alcohol addictions. Major loss. Death of a loved one, divorce, loss of a job, loss of a relationship. Just some of those things. Sometimes when people are dealing with the tragedy of that degree, it puts them in a dark place. It puts them down a path. 
you know, I've talked to grieving spouses who have lost their husband or their wife, and, you know, I just want to go be with them. Is a conclusion that you'll come to in the grief. But hang in there a little bit. We'll be reunited one day in Christ. We'll be reunited. Illness, disease, the loss of the ability to thrive. One of the primary reasons that that 85 plus demographic is so, it's because there's this loss of ability to thrive in illness. And they lose hope and they get discouraged. You know, one of the things I find interesting about Christianity, God comes into people's life and he changes their heart. It doesn't matter if you're mobile or immobile. It doesn't matter if you're smart or not so smart. It doesn't matter if you're rich or poor. He changes our heart and he gives us hope and he gives us something to live for. You know, there was a lady, what was her name? Joni Tata Erickson? Paralyzed. She's pretty young when she got paralyzed. But you know what? She wasn't going to let that slow her down, and she continued to live with the joy of the Lord day in, day out, despite the challenge that she was walking through in her, in her health. And then there's dark interests. You know, there's some dark things out in the culture. Some dark things out there. They open the door to demonic activity in people's lives and influence from demons. And we invite these things in when we start getting into those dark things, those dark places, those dark things. I remember in high school, and that's 30 years ago, there was a guy that published a magazine called The Scriptures of the Psychotic Youth. And it was all about this guy that walked around basically cannibalizing people and chatting with demons, stuff like that. That's 30 years ago. There's some dark stuff out there, and people get into dark stuff, and they invite demons in their life. And demons, my Bible tells me that Jesus came to give life, but the thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. They want to take you out. Because if he thinks you have a future with Jesus, he doesn't want you to accomplish your mission and be released to accomplish your assignment. So if he can take you out before you fulfill your assignment, that's the only way he's going to win. There's other factors. You know, these kids today, they make packs. And all of a sudden, you'll see a whole group of kids within a very short amount of time. One, another, 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 another. They're all in the same circle. Which leads me to the last one I want to talk about for a minute. Loneliness. The highest demographic for suicide in Canada is 45 to 54 age. And someone gave me an article I was reading it, and it said this. It said, 47 is the saddest age. That's where people are the saddest at age 47 from all the research that they've been doing. I'm 47. <laughs> I am sad. This is the saddest I'm ever going to be. <laughs> but see, wow, how sad am I? Okay, um, Let's go talk about Mother Teresa. She says the feeling of being unwanted is the most terrible form of poverty. And she also goes on to describe loneliness as the leprosy of the modern world. Check this one out. 28% of Canadians live as a family of one. That's just over one in four live as a family of one. We were made for community. We were made for connection. We were made to belong. We were made to participate in things together. 
This is why as a church, we try to create community for you. We have groups and classes and ministries and activities and events. Why? So that people can integrate into community. There's nothing like being in a community where you're serving alongside some other people. You know, here's a couple communities. There's a food bank across the way, Windsor Lifeline Outreach. It's a community of people that come together to make sure people get fed and clothed. They're always looking for more people to come into their community because many hands make the light work, right? We've got a kids' church down the hall. What a great community where together you with a bunch of people in your community start taking care of the kids during the service periodically. I think it's every three weeks so that someone else can go down and hear the ministry of the word without having to listen to their kids scream at them all day. Because if, when my kids were young, man, whew, I didn't want them in here because I wasn't paying attention to the message, I promise. I was just trying to keep them from coloring on the back of the chair. Or running up and down the aisles. We have a cafe. That's community, a bookstore, community, the ushers ministry, community, the hub ministry, community. We have numerous classes of people that come together for different reasons, celebrate recovery on Thursday night, community. Are you seeing how this works? You can interact with people and form your own community outside of here where you go hang out with some people. It's not hard. Hey, what are you doing next Thursday? Let's go for coffee. Now, if you're a single man asking my wife to go to coffee, that's not the kind of community you need to develop. <laughs> we were made for more. A guy named Jeff Jerry Shepard kind of put this together, and there's a quote that I heard years ago by Irenaeus, who was a, a Christian who lived in the first few centuries after Christ resurrected. And a guy named John Beer, B-E-H-R, he translated um, some of Irenaeus of Lyon's work in identifying Christianity, and this is what he says. And this actually gets misquoted quite often. Let me rephrase that. It's a mistranslation, I think, when people talk about Irenaeus's work, because when you go from Latin to English. But he says this, he says, for the glory of God is a living human being. And the life of the human consists in beholding God, for if the manifestation of God, which is made by means of their creation, affords life to all living in the earth, much more does that revelation of the Father, which comes through the word, give life to those who see God. See, the glory of God is a living human being. And Jerry says that it's a life infused with God. That's how we're supposed to live. Sometimes they say the glory of God is man most fully alive. When a living human being is really, truly, people who are most fully alive, whether they're living and moving or whether they're living and not moving so much, but the thing is the glory of God is released through humans, especially humans that live a God-infused life. In other words, God is so much a part of your life that you reflect him everywhere you go. But ask yourself this question, am I doing a good job reflecting God and his glory to the people that I meet every day? When people look at me, are they seeing Jesus or are they seeing something else? My carnal flesh. 
and I'm not doing a good job of reflecting him? Or are you doing a good job of reflecting him? Or most of you are probably somewhere in between. And he goes on and he talks about it because, see, if you take the context of the glory of God as a human being, a living human being, he continues that thought process with, such then was the patience of God that the human being, passing through all things and acquiring knowledge of death, then attaining to the resurrection from the dead and learning by experience from whence he's been delivered, may thus always give thanks to the Lord. That's a good concept. Through experience, we learn to be thankful. Having received from him the gift of incorruptibility and may love him more for he to whom much to more is forgiven loves more and may himself know how mortal and weak he is but also understand that God is so mortal and powerful as to bestow immortality on the mortal. In other words, God gave us eternal life and we were forgiven of many sins so therefore because we've been forgiven of many sins we can love him much. And he kind of concludes with, God made manifest in himself and being taught by them may think of God in accordance with the greatness of God for the glory of the human being is God. Our human life consists of what? A God-focused life. And see, this is what I want to get to because what you focus on will often determine the outcome in your life. And too many times, we don't focus on the right thing and we get the wrong result. Let us play our mess, God's masterpiece, please. I've heard it. You've heard it. It's time for a new beginning. Time to start a fresh page or paint a new picture with our life. Sounds great in theory but it can seem impossible. Life is messy. The lines have gotten blurred. Maybe we just don't know where to start. We look at the canvas of our lives and see mistake after mistake after mistake. It's overwhelming. When I look at my life with these messy lines and scribbles, it makes me think, is this as good as it gets? There's no eraser that can make this life make sense. But what if? What if there was someone that could make sense of our mess? They could take all our scribbles, all our mistakes, all our missed opportunities, and make them into a masterpiece. And then I remember there is Jesus he gives us a new life every day is new every day is a blank canvas full of possibility and promise he takes our canvases our lives that have been filled up with shortcomings secrets tragedies and embarrassments and he helps them make sense when I look at the canvas of my life and I see nothing but disorder and chaos, I have to remember this. God is not a God of disorder. He's a God of peace. And you know what? He wants to take my hand and bring peace to the canvas of my life. So as we seek to make our mark, let us give God all our scribbles, all our mistakes, all our hurts, and trust that he will turn our messy lives into a masterpiece.
his masterpiece. A few verses for those of you taking notes that we need to learn as we're changing our focus. Psalms 34, 18 and 19. Psalms 55, 22. Isaiah 41, 10. Jeremiah 29, 11. John 3, 16. John 10, 10. John 10, 27 to 29. John 11, 26. Romans 8, 1 and 2. I'm going to read the rest of Romans 8 starting at verse 31. What shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? No one, for God himself has given us right standing with himself. Who then will condemn us? No one, for Jesus, Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us. And he is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading for us. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity, or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? As the scriptures say, for your sake, we're killed every day. We're being slaughtered like sheep. No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And I'm convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or the earth below, indeed, nothing in creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. 2 Corinthians 5.17, 1 John 4.4, 4. we belong to God. And we've won victory because greater is the spirit who lives in us than the spirit in the world. We have to come to the place where we change our garment. We have to stop seeing ourselves as the victim and start becoming the victor. We have to look to our hope in Christ and start focusing on him. The Bible says we're to lay our burdens down at the foot of the cross to cast our cares on him. Sometimes we look at the circumstance and it gets bigger and bigger and we need to start looking at our God and let him get bigger and bigger in your life. We need to make a clean break from the dark places. Don't stay in the dark places any longer. You have the cross, you have the power of God. It's been revealed to you. You were made for more, you were made for a reason. I'm gonna let my wife talk, then we're gonna go into communion. Um, many of you have probably heard me say uh, more than once, and I say it often, I say it all the time, God does everything through relationship. Everything that he does is through relationship. So part of the reason why we wanted to talk with you today is not to just give you head knowledge and the theory about this very sensitive issue. One of the reasons why we wanted to talk to you about it today is that we all have a part to play. We all have a role and how good, how great, how awesome is God that he allows us and gives us the opportunity to minister to one another, to be able to walk alongside each other as a brother and sister in Christ, to minister in friendship to one another. And it's so important that we bring this home into the church, into WCF that we begin, if we haven't already done that, that we look each other in the eye. And when we're walking down the hall and we're saying, hey, how are you? How's it going? 
and everybody's just, oh, I'm good, I'm fine, I'm this and that and everything. What would you do if somebody said, I'm not doing that great? Would you stop? Would you say, hey, what's going on? I would like to listen to what's happening right now in your life. Can I pray with you? I'd love to go out for a coffee with you. Can we talk? We need to take the time to actually pay attention and look at the people that are in our circle, that, are, that we come in contact with. We need to understand that, you know, God sends divine interruptions, divine connections our way in order for us to take that opportunity to be a blessing to somebody else, to show kindness. And we need to remember that when we're actually showing kindness, kindness often, most often means it's a deferment and a self-sacrifice that you have to make in order to be kind. Thus, kindness. You can't call it kind if there's a benefit and something for you. Kindness means you're extending something to somebody else that has no benefit for you on the outward, but you're giving it to them and you're extending it to them. And it's so important that we do that as a body, that we actually look at each other and that we are trying to be a safe place for someone. We can't be a safe place for everybody, but we can be a safe place for one person. We can each other, hold each other accountable and say, hey, how are you doing? What's going on? Let's, let's connect. Let's actually be genuine and honest with each other about life because life sometimes gets messy. It hurts sometimes. And we walk through some stuff that's really painful and really real. And it doesn't get better unless one person actually has the courage to risk vulnerability because we connect through our vulnerability. We connect when we take a risk to say, this is how I'm feeling. And we feel alone and the enemy wants to isolate us and make us feel alone and make us feel like nobody knows what we're going through and keep us quiet. Because if we share, then that means that's going to be shameful and that's going to be shame and condemnation that comes upon you. And that's not true. That's not Jesus. That's not God. When you take the opportunity and you risk vulnerability, that means you're going to find out that there's other people who feel the way you do and that you walk alongside each other and you hold each other up and you walk beside each other and you pray with each other. That's community. That's why we work so hard. That's why Pastor Larry and Pastor RJ are working so hard to get home groups going, to get mentor groups started. So you can walk together in life, do life together. So when you're going through a hard time, you have people to reach out to. They, and that we are there, that we are willing to walk alongside somebody when they're having a rough time and stop whatever we're doing. Because that's the other thing that the enemy wants to do. We live in a world that's so busy, 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 busy. And we're all doing something, going somewhere, keeping our head down, making a beeline for wherever we need to go and not taking the time to look up. We're on our phones texting, we're walking and texting, we're doing all kinds of stuff. And we're, you know, we've all been guilty of it. But there are moments that we need to be purposeful. In your families, guard connection. Guard the time. Don't make light of having a meal together. Guard the time to at least come together once a week, something with your families to connect, to have actual conversation, to be asking meaningful questions, connecting with your kids, 
asking them questions. Young people, there's a reason your parents want to know what's happening in your life. We love you. We want to try to connect with you. We want to have meaningful conversation with you that actually we want to guard your heart. We pray for you. We love you. We want things to go well for you. We don't want fine. Good. It's all right. We want more in your friendships, in your relationships. Dig deeper. Church, we were singing a song today. If you can all stand, please, as we take communion together. About Jesus being the way maker. We need to understand as a body of Christ that Jesus makes a way for you with the very thing that's in your way. And the enemy would mean it to be a stumbling block for you to take you out. But God is saying to you, I mean it to be your stepping stone. That you will step on top of that thing and rise up to be where I need you to be. Because I have prepared something for you and make a way for you. I am the miracle worker. But you know what? The miracle isn't in the breakthrough. Do you know that? The miracle is actually in the middle of the circumstance and what God is doing in your life and in your heart in the middle of it all. In the middle is where the miracle happens. And God is working on your heart. He's working on your heart and your character to bring you to a place where he needs you to be. He is your light in the darkness. When it is dark, and there are some of you here today within the sound of my voice. And it has been dark for so, so long. And it is so dark right now that you don't think you can find a way out. It's not up to you if you would just fix your eyes on Jesus and take one moment to look up. And he only needs a glimmer of hope to bring light he is your promise keeper. There is nothing, nowhere, no place so far from God, no pit so deep that he cannot reach you if you would just lift your eyes. And as you lift your eyes, church, there's our response. How will we respond when someone is reaching their hand towards you asking for help? Will you stop? Will you stop what you're doing and your own agenda and reach out and take their hand and help them up and walk alongside them and encourage them and pray with them and for them? It doesn't take a lot. We forget the simple things make such a big difference. The little things in our lives, in our relationships make such a huge difference. Cultivate a culture of connection. Cultivate those times in your relationships and in your family. Guard them. Don't let the enemy steal them. Heavenly Father, as we receive the bread, we thank you, Lord, that we as a church decide 
to look around, to see people who you bring across our path and look them in the eye, Lord God. Lord, I pray that you would give us your eyes, that you would give us your heart, Jesus, to be able to minister to those alongside us who labor right beside us, that we would take the time to notice someone other than our own self, that we would understand the power, Lord God, in what you did on the cross, and that because of your brokenness, Lord Jesus, we as Christians can walk in wholeness with you. So I thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are so, so close to the brokenhearted here right now. And Lord, you see and you know those who are in a dark place right now, who are hurting, who are feeling so alone. I thank you, Father, that you are so close to them now and that Lord God, in Jesus' name, you are sending help their way. And not just in your divine comfort and in your spirit, God, but help that is in the hands and feet of our believers, that is in our relationships, that is in and through us, that you work in us to work with us, to work through us, God, to more effectively spread your love, that they will know us, that we have the love for the brethren, run for another in Jesus' name. Father, we thank you for the cup. Lord, I thank you for dying for us, sacrificing yourself so that we could see you and know you. Lord, help us to forgive. Help us to receive forgiveness. Help us to choose to honor you with our life, with our actions and our words. Lord, we want to lift up the name of Jesus, so help us to really be the image bearers that you made us to be. And that when we meet people that are hurting and lost without hope, help us to show them the way to you. Today, Father, for anyone struggling in their mind right now, I thank you that the peace of God comes. Anyone struggling in their body that the healing of God comes right now. Receive it. And Father, help us to focus on you, not our circumstance or situation. And Lord, help us to be a light to this culture in Jesus' name. God bless you guys. We'll see you next time.